Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Welcome to the history of Germany with Travis Dow and me, Judith Strusenberg. Today we'll talk about an amazing woman from the mid-12th century, a scientist, a great public speaker and a strange example of a female rhetorician that broke all social norms and taboos. To do that means the people had to accept that and let a nun preach to them. Hildegard was a nun, then abbess. More than that, nowadays she's a saint. Because she's a bit of a German Joan d'Arc, Hildegard had visions, but also was a visionary of signs and also a musical uh, composer and writer. And well, it gets weirder. Even, even Frederick I, Kaiser Barbarossa himself, was not above writing letters to Hildegard, well, supposedly. She also corresponded with more than one pope and folks like Bernard of Clairvaux, now also a saint. And, I mean, imagine a crowd of people in 12th century Europe, like a church congregation. Who's at the front of the church? A guy with a big hat, right? I find it hard to picture a nun excitedly holding the attention of a crowd at that time. In fact, that wasn't normal at all, if if not forbidden. So how could Hildegard of Bingen cross over these social norms and preach to crowd after crowd in her life? And there's a couple parallels to Joan of Arc. Uh, like Judith said, and, and I'm, yeah, I mean, not many, actually. There's, there's a couple other saints that people kind of lump together, or like uh, the female doctors of the church. But I'm just completely fascinated by this character, so let's dive right in. Yeah, uh, one can say Bingen is in Rheinland-Pfalz. Uh, we are at a time of the Crusades and the boom of the abbeys and monasteries. Hildegard is also known as the German prophetess, as the Sibyl of the Rhine, a noble woman who gets sent off to a monastery at the age of 16. She was the youngest of a lot of sisters and uh, brothers, seven or ten, uh, one do not exactly know. Or oh, Travis? Not so pretty sure. So says ten, <laughs> but we only have records for seven. I don't know. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Why did I write down? Yeah, I was watching some documentary where it's like the youngest of 10. So maybe there was a couple of stillbirths or something. That's I really don't know. Um, but we only have like records of seven. She was the youngest of seven for sure. At least seven. She was born in Mainz, uh, just north of Worms and a spire on the Rhine. Spire, you know, uh, from the heirloom 
episode about uh, the Spire Cathedral. She is one of the most well-known prophetess of the Middle Ages. She uh, was of a noble family, but there was something quite special about her. What happened to her uh, as she was a child, Rose? Already from a very young age, like as early as she can remember, basically, at least uh, she had her first vision at three, which was so, she, which was in 1101. She was born in 1098. And at the age of five, she kind of already understood that she was seeing visions. And the first things was kind of like, it, it, like there would be a bright light in the woods, like a light coming from heaven. And she had all these revelations of like, all people are sparks of God's light and all these, um, yeah, like she felt like the, the, the light going through her, like a warming flame and like the sunshine itself. And I don't know if we had a psychoanalyst here. I don't know. Like, I just I wish I knew more about this. But uh, because also when when she went to um, the monastery. So ZDF says 16. <laughs> also, some I don't know where why ZDF says that, because I read eight or some sources say 14. So uh, I don't know. But but in any case, she went to the monastery. I mean, it could have also been she went to the monastery at age eight and she became a nun at age 14. That's also that could be maybe, I don't know. Um, but she w came under the care of a nun named Yuta, who was a specific kind of nun who was like secluded and lived kind of, it was well secluded, like lived by herself and didn't have a lot of contact with other, with other people. And But Yuta was also a visionary. So I really wonder, I, I'm just, I don't want to be like a skeptic or super suspicious about all these things, but I, but I am. Like I'm just, I'm always curious of like what really happened. But in any case, like she did ha also have, um, so some visions were just straight kind of like about, about like Christian stuff. Like uh, I, I, well, maybe we'll come back to this, but also like to, to give her some insight of like Psalms or um, Old and New, kind of the Bible, Old and New Testament. And uh, eventually, not until she was like 40 or so. She wrote these down on a wax tablet. We'll, you know, we'll get back to this. And her first work describes 26 visions, including the end of times, like the apocalypse and all of that. And at first, she only told Yuta, her nun caretaker and mentor, and she didn't write them down until she was 42. God kind of made her, like she became sick. Um, she, you know, like God told her to write this down write down what she sees and hears and she was kind of afraid of and and you know she you know i guess this takes a lot of courage i don't know and then she became ill and so until finally but but she also like asked for permission from the pope and the pope said yes you know write down your visions and everything so she got she got official blessing from the church but already at this time she was a preacher so this is really probably what i find the most interesting is I cannot, it's a very hard thing for me to imagine a woman nun really captivating a hundred or hundreds of people uh, in the Middle Ages because this was like almost taboo. So people really, in her lifetime, they came to her as someone that's like maybe holy, maybe a living saint, maybe a, you know, and, and in that regard is kind of like the way the French saw Joanne of Arc. So already, She was very... Asked uh, because mm -hmm. uh, she had a lot um, of knowledge about about medicine and about yep. herbs and about um, uh, this kind of stuff. I uh, did a quick 
research and it is as he said uh, she was uh, brought uh, to the monastery at the age of eight and uh, she became a nun at uh, the age of of 14 there you go and and Yuta was brought uh, started her life at the monastery at the same time when Hildegard went there and she was eight years older than her Oh, not even that. Yeah. Okay. Not even that yeah. much older. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, that's interesting then, because eventually Yuta dies, and Hildegard's still pretty young, and she takes over. Um, yeah. Okay. That's all oh, right. Yeah. I thought Yuta was like an older mentor, maybe, because she dies when I don't know. Maybe she's still thirty. Uh, Hildegard's still thirty. That's not so. So not so old. But yeah, I we're wrote, in the Middle Ages. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, well, well Hildegard lived of... until seven, until in, in her seventies. Yeah. So kind of interesting. Yeah, she she became um, old, but there were yeah. lots of possibilities to oh, yeah. die. One, in, it seems like one. You stub your finger, you get infected, you die. <laughs> like yeah. Um, now, yeah, so some of her visions, I, I wrote down one thing from Wikipedia, which was, I'll just read that. It was kind of, so it, it, Wikipedia says some of her visions. So she wrote one thing about medicine. Uh, I wrote down some notes there. I'll, I'll get back to that. But then she also wrote uh, like about, so she saw some visions explaining the Bible or something like uh, the, the creation and fall of Adam and Eve. And she wrote this down, uh, the structure of the universe uh, described as the shape of an egg, which you see a lot in alchemy, actually, and then kind of the relationship between body and soul, God's relationship to his people through the synagogue and the choirs of angels. And then the second part of that work, which is seven different visions, describe the order of redemption, like uh, the coming of Christ, the Trinity, the church as the bride of Christ. So like all these, these, you know, it's just like these symbols kind of about the church, the orders of the church. Uh, Christ sacrifice on the cross, like all these, the, the stages of um, just a lot of Christian stuff, I suppose. There's also, yeah, even in the same works, she writes about music a lot and all that. Now, uh, late in life, she wrote or commissioned a very beautiful manuscript known as the Rupertsburg Codex. And this is a really interesting book. Like, I, I nerd out on actual books. Like, I love this story. The Rupertsburg Codex might still be out there somewhere, like we hope. Um, but it's been lost since the evacuation of Dresden in 1945. So, like, if you have a really big book laying around and it looks, like, really old, maybe, like, 900 years old on rich parchment, <laughs> finely illuminated parchment with really rich colors, give it back. <laughs> Thanks. Um, oh, yeah, like pretty it's, sorry. It's lost. Yeah, it's like it's crazy. It might still be out there. Maybe it was burned in Dresden fires, or maybe you know, it's just like who knows? It's just a lost thing. It's just really sad. Um, but there, there was is... a copy of it made in the 1920s, so ah. we do know what it looks like and everything. And this copy still exists. Yep, that you can go see somewhere. Maybe even in Dresden. I'm not sure, but yeah. Oh, quite interesting. There's another interesting link uh, from this Hildegard uh, episode to an episode we've done earlier. Because uh, when Hildegard uh, became a nun uh, and made this officially, you know, uh, there's a bishop and she had uh, to speak a vow that she will be a nun. And uh, this bishop was Otto of Bamberg. And he was just there because the other bishop, which uh, should have taken the profess from Hildegard, 
was in prison, and this was Adalbert of Mainz. Ah, that guy. Ah, yeah, yeah. that guy. Yes, and um, huh. still, we're back at um, one of the Henrys. I think it's Henry the Fourth. Yeah, it must be one of the later. Yeah, yeah Henry the Fourth or yeah. Fifth. Yeah, which was, uh, yeah. brought Adalbert uh, to to prison. Yeah, there you go. Yep. So, I mean, yeah, definitely in this time period. So, we like, I've talked about this time period in science even in uh, History of Alchemy. But this, so this is kind of more of like that kind of episode than than the, the History of Germany episode, which is great. Like, this is, because she's really interesting. Um, yeah. She also, so I, I guess what's what's known, uh, like, uh, if you go through her life, the, the main thing is, um, she was in this monastery and then she eventually did found her own monastery and, uh, kind of break off, uh, from, from where she grew up, I guess. And that was really interesting. So Abbot Kuno, who was the head of the old monastery said no to the move. And so she went over his head to Archbishop of Mainz. Even then Kuno refused. And so she became paralyzed. This happened a couple times, actually. Hildegard became sick. And so then she was able to do something, which is like write down her visions or in this case, move. So I don't ah, I don't want to be a skeptic, but it's kind of suspicious, I think. Anyways, um, so Rupert's uh, Monastery is what she founds in like 1150. And the monks don't want her to leave. They actually blackmail her. They like they threaten to like say horrible things about her or to, you know, whatever. I don't even know what they said, but but eventually she she does. And it's. Uh, she founds Rupertsberg right on the Rhine and uh, some other river kind of where they meet. And it's in this time where she really like hits the road. She goes on tour. She preaches. There's, she's She has many, many fans. Like people come to her because like you said, she's a healer, but also because just people want to hear her wisdom, her prophecies and everything. And now there's a legend where she meets Barbarossa and we do have letters from Barbarossa, but some historians, many historians, suspect them to be fake. So it's kind of, I don't know, it's questionable. Uh, I didn't I didn't look at it that much. But there is a, let's see, uh, Vispadna Giant Codex, Riesen Codex. There's some uh, letter from Barbarossa to Hildegard. So that's kind of like, we'll get to Kaiser Barbarossa soon. You know, she might have actually counseled him in the uh, when when he was at the Ingel, Ingelheimer Kaiserpfalz, like the Imperial Palace. So that's, yeah, so that's just kind of like, I don't know if that really happened. I don't know if all historians agree with that, but she definitely, like, that's the caliber. She wrote to very, like two popes, you know, popes gave her permission in her lifetime. She was seen as this visionary prophetess kind of, um, but there was an investigation. So Eugene, Pope Eugene III, uh, comes to Germany to actually kind of judge her, like decide uh, if she's if she's real or not. So so there's an investigation, like is she being possessed by the devil or something? Um, but uh, no, the the church said no. She's really she's inspired by God, like she's getting knowledge from God. So now that's in her autobiography. She wrote some vita. Uh, there's no other sources that say this. Uh, so I don't know. <laughs> it's there's a lot of things about her that are not certain. Like there's no, there's nothing in the Vatican that backs this up, I think. Um, but yeah, there is, she did write to more than one Pope. Um, so yeah, in any case, uh, 
where she lived, Rupert's, what was it called? Rupert's uh, back. Um, later, after her death, eventually that area is called Bingen. So in her time, she was not Hildegard of Bingen. Um, she was born in Mainz or some someplace, whatever. But um, yeah, later that's Bingen. And so it's kind of, she's, she's Hildegard of Bingen. Um, Did you know uh, that she haven't wrote uh, all uh, her books and stuff uh, by herself, that she had a writer for that? I heard there was some monk. Yeah, she dictated yeah. stuff to a monk or something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like, uh, yeah. So yeah, one thing I read saying like, yeah, she got sick and then she asked the Pope for permission and then the Pope gave her permission and then she told the stories to a monk who wrote it down. Uh, the simple version is like she started writing down her stuff when she was 40. But yeah, something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, and it her is really interesting. So yeah. I want to talk about, okay, let's, let's take a step back. So I want to talk about her visions, but also um, let's go into her medicine a little bit. I don't know that much. I, I wrote down some notes that, that I kind of figured out. Um, but she was, so that she had a special room. Uh, an extra gate in the monastery wall just for her uh, because kind of like she was a VIP. The the f people from the towns would come to her. They Like maybe she was like a miracle healer, they believed. So, you know, they definitely thought that, you know, like I said, like she was a saint. She could, you know, the folks, she did kind of kind of this cult status even in her time. Um, uh, so but... She also, like, she was the first person to actually describe, the first person that we know of to ever describe, like, the female orgasm. And, of course, now, wait a minute. Hey, wait, she's a nun, right? So, wait a minute. So, it's it's assumed that this was, like, told to her by townswomen or something. But um, Hildegard, like, she's connected with love. She has, like... Uh, yeah, she's, she's very different tone when one thinks of Hildegard than the cold middle ages like this oppressive kind of brutal time like but there was critics against her um there was an inspection there was the bishop of verdun uh, on assignment from the pope but one thing i, I want to mention that's weird is she also had her own she invented her own weird language which is called lingua ignota uh she also did great works in like categorization so we we talked about her religious visionary theology, but she was also really interesting in uh, musical compositions. So a lot of those are, uh, and plays, there's a play called Ordo Vituum, which kind of is about, it's a musical about and morality play kind of. Um, now she also, yeah, many of her sermons are written down, were written down in the, like right after her death or right in, in her later life in the 1160s and 70s. But this lingua ignota, unknown language, so it has its own, it's, it's, this is crazy. This is like it has its own alphabet. It's a little bit like yes. uh, we have examples of this in like Ignokian and uh, other alphabets kind of later. But this is, she used it for some mystical purposes, maybe as part of her visions. Maybe that's the language she received her visions in. Uh I have a sample here from Wikipedia. It's like, oh, Orchis Ecclesia. Ar that sounds like Latin, actually. Armis Divinis Precincta. That sounds really like Latin. Uh, yeah, Et it's a mixture of yeah. um, German, Latin, Old Greek, 
Hebraic and a pseudo Hebraic. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Really interesting. Yeah. yeah. So considering this is from the 12th century, it's just like, yeah, super fascinating. So on the one hand, she has a reputation of like this religious character. She also preached and did morality. Um, okay. And like music and but it's still even her music and her plays were often religious. But then there's also uh, her as she's a doctor of the church. She she um, was really into medicine. And in some regard, she's a very important source because not many women of her time could could write Latin. Now, today, the University of Würzburg, uh, they're actually exploring her cures again. So it's this is kind of in the branch of like kloster medicine, like monas- monastery medicine. Um, and we know, especially in the you know 10th, 11th, 12th century, this is like on History of Alchemy, we've talked of other doctors of the church from this time, like Albertus Magnus or Thomas Aquinas. So here's, here's a female one. And it's a lot of folk medicine. Uh, it's believed that she gathered this knowledge. She maybe wasn't so much of a doctor herself, but people did come for advice. And so, yeah, it's uh, not all empirical and not all of it really would work. So it's kind of, um, but it is this, her writing it down is now kind of known as, uh, Hildegardian medicine, like Hildegardian medicine. So, and it doesn't always make sense without medieval thinking, like the four humors and the four elements and blah, blah, blah. Even if this was like psychosomatic, like a placebo effect, it helped. She was, people came to her, she was, people got cured. Um, So, hey, it's, you know, I don't want to, no, no, the term Hildegard medicine is a German marketing term since like 1970, really kind of as a, I think Judith, before the show, we were just chatting and Judith's like, yeah, like I know of this movement kind of, of, um, it kind of goes along with like folk medicine and homeopathy and, and all kinds of other, um, weird theories. Yes. Yeah. New age. Exactly. New age medicine. Um, but it's neat. So even, even her, like, oh man, I gotta be so careful here. I will nerd out on history of so Al Razis. <laughs> I'm a big fan of like Al Razis because um some medieval thinker, uh, because he was known in Hildegard's time, by the way, but he also categorized I mean in Europe, like like Thomas Aquinas and stuff knew knew him. And and he categorized things, minerals, plants, stuff, and so did Hildegard. So like various plants, stones, fish, reptiles, animals, she would like lo- group them by their traits, which is like folks, that's that's science. That's that's what biologists do. They they look at DNA and they're like, "Oh, this is in this genus, this species, this um, so that, you know, she she did that a thousand years ago, and I think that's uh, oh, I think that's fascinating stuff. Um, she also looked at the human body. Now, in medieval thinking, so so first of all, so some of it is like um, when you bleed someone, like you use the leeches and the bleeding. She wrote about that. She gave instructions on that, like you only bleed when the moon is waning. You only like there's certain veins, like where those veins are to bleed. So there was a weird pseudoscience between bleeding, um, which I don't know how much people know about, but yeah, it was like, so how much do you bleed? The amount that a thirsty person can swallow in one gulp. Okay. That's <laughs> very scientific. Uh, that's 10 centiliters. 
Um, but no, even even the bleeding of animals. So you need to bleed your dog or cat. Like no worries, she's got your. But she also had like how to treat treat burns, cuts, um, even like dislocation. Like if you dislocate your arm or you know fracture your bones and uh, fracture an arm or something. Um, there's a lot of, and then of course in 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 all kinds of medicine that men don't write about, like maybe the female orgasm or um, the menstrual cycle or something. Hildegard did write about that, like she wrote about everything else. So when when history of medicine uh, historians study the Middle Ages, they all know about Hildegard, like definitely. In my world, she's not so famous, but yeah, if you study history of medicine, like she's she's great. And um, it's like she wrote about, like when she wrote about the human body, you can go into like this hermetic belief of like the microcosm, macrocosm, like um, at when... Like astrology, how far down this rabbit hole do we want to go? Like why why does um, like everything above in the stars? It was believed that also affects your body, so you should do certain things when Mercury is in Sagittarius, okay? Because when Mercury is in Sagittarius, then that means your body is going through this time, and maybe you should be bled, or maybe you should eat more soup, or whatever. Okay, there's a I don't know. It was, but it was this whole pseudoscience in the Middle Ages. So, she, so she wrote about that. If you're curious about that, I have a whole podcast on that called "The History of Alchemy," which is like 80 episodes of microcosm, macrocosm, hermeticism, as above, so below, mystical stuff. So, why don't you go there? Now, here, um, another theory she had was, and this I find very German, but gardening makes one healthy because it's called. Uh, viriditas, like this greening power, which I think is very German. It's like you go, you go outside, you do your uh, yard work, and somehow this is like. Um, so there's actually so in Germany there's a sort of um, there's a whole philosophy around this that we don't we don't know about called like a kur, where you go to you go on vacation to a spa town, but it's actually covered by insurance and. Uh, you 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 go do relaxing things like be in a spa or whatever. But there is actually a Hildegard type kur, which I didn't look at that much. And this is so German, I can't even I don't know how to translate this. But you go do Hildegardian things like so. Insurance will pay for you to go off work because you're too stressed. You go take a Hildegard kur and you go plant some tomatoes and do this or that thing, um, and it's all covered by. I have never heard about this yeah. uh, Hildegard uh, Kur, and I even so, haven't heard that the insurance would uh, would uh, pay pay for it. Uh, yeah, in fact, um, there are uh, cures in Germany which are paid uh, by the insurance mm-hmm. uh, if you get uh, sick and got uh, a broken bones, for example, which you need a long time to heal, or you yeah. had cancer, or or stuff like this. Um, yeah, the government I, will pay for your spa town. We don't that nothing like that exists in America. And, uh, and it's not exactly no 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 no. Uh, it's not it's not kind of spa. It's uh, medical yeah. useful things which help you. Uh, like like physiotherapy or rehab kind of stuff, which insurance would cover, but kua also means spa town in a in a very relaxing sense, 
which German insurance also covers. And you can take sick days off of work for that. And and so it's not a one-to-one translation. Uh, but then there's yes. also like, there's like medical. So we just don't have that whole idea or concept. Okay. Yeah. So I'm, I just Googled this Hildegard Akua, which is, so you go to this hotel and then you basically get, so you get a Hildegard and spices. Oh, healing herbs and spices. And boy, this is weird. So, and that's how the Hildegard spirit or Hildegard ghost, Hildegard spirit probably, pulls a green thread through your whole house. Now, this is some pretty new age stuff here. Yes. And I'm trying to be respectful. I don't, I don't think any doctors actually, this is, I mean, this is, this is folk medicine. Okay. Like this is not, yeah. Um, But there's like, so there's, there's Hildegard medicine, which is really new aged, um, kind of a holistic sort of thing, I believe looks like. And then, um, then there's Hildegard kitchen, which is, it is a kind of special diet. um, Looks like focusing on digestion. Yeah. For a good stomach feeling, pretty new age stuff. So, and then and then I see at the bottom there's other like bio hotel. So it's kind of hippy dippy stuff, um, but it's come back. So in German speaking world, you you might hear of you know Hildian Hildegardian uh, theories, medicine, uh, cooking, and that kind of thing. Um, Be careful. Most yeah, time, uh, people just want to sell you stuff now i'm i'm curious about uh, the university of würzburg is studying it so i wonder what their conclusions are because i'm sure um there's some herbs that of course are do have medicinal uh use yes yes so that that i would be yeah so that i would be uh curious about this um hildegardkur.de hotel uh maybe uh maybe skip that but yeah, I'm, yeah, I wonder, you know, that that is kind of interesting. Um, now, okay, the the other thing that she, she wrote about that I thought was really interesting, and I wonder what your thoughts are on this, is that, so, so pretty, so far we paint a pretty good picture of her, if, um, especially if you're Catholic, then, you know, she's a saint now, um, so she had a, a pretty interesting life, but she also was very clear about who should be nuns and not, because in the Middle Ages, only nobility became monks and nuns. Uh, the common people were not thought to be, they couldn't be intelligent enough to be pious enough to serve God the way that monks and nuns could. And so, and people asked her, like, you know, what about, you know, social social mobility is, is uh, you know, is there some way for people to, you know, just people asked her, like, can, can laymen, can, can peasants become nuns? And she was like, nope. A uh, woman may be made from man, but no man can be made without a woman. Uh, so she was like a feminist on the one side, You're fighting for women's rights, I guess, maybe you could kind of say. But when it came to nobility, no. She was like very clear that no. Everybody everybody was born in their place that where God wants them and no one could fight God's will in that regard. So if you're a peasant, you're always going to be a peasant. And by the way, you can never be a monk or a nun, which to our modern ears is maybe a little bit strange. Um, I think many things actually of Hildegard of Bingen are a little bit strange to our modern ears, but uh, I, I was surprised. Like It's uh, absolutely clear that a lot of nobility um, became a, um, mm-hmm. a monk or, or nuns uh, because... 
oh, there yeah. wasn't just one um, son uh, who could mm-hmm. be who could be king or um, earl or whatever, yeah. and uh, you had to to look uh, what to do with the rest of the kids, and so um, yeah, p- put them in a monastery where they serve God, um, pray for the family, and uh, gain some a mm-hmm. high positions in church yeah why not many many monks gave up their wealth and so maybe even to come into a monastery it might actually in a way it cost money and say yes you can be a benedictine monk but we need uh, you know but we need all your wealth oh you don't have any wealth then go away like i just just weird it's kind of interesting for example uh, the rupertsberg uh, monastery the land where it was built on Mm -hmm. it had to come from somewhere Yep. And it belonged uh, to Hildegard's family before mm-hmm. there was the monastery built on, for example. Uh, so, yeah, what was I reading? Also, like Jutta. Well, did you say that maybe Jutta was the sister of some nobleman? Uh, but yeah, so yeah, I mean, it, it's true if you. Think no, about I did it, not like... say, but, okay. but uh, yeah, she was a noble woman as right. as, yeah. as well. So, I, yeah, I don't even know when that changed exactly. I guess I could Google that. But I thought, yeah, I thought that was interesting. Like, not only is that the case, but um, no, it was like, yeah, she was a strong believer in that's the way it should be. Noble noble women are by birth, have some birthright. And I was like, huh, that's, a interesting, that's an interesting, ta- interesting take on society from someone who seems to be, you know, a feminist and... Uh, this kind of thing, but again, from you know, we're looking at this with modern eyes and ears. So, yeah. and in medieval society, you had were able to do two things with a noble daughter. You could have mm-hmm. had married her to some rich and important guy, or put her and, to monastery. Yeah, yeah, and remember the youngest of like ten. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, it kind of all makes sense, but yeah, weird. Um, but um, I don't, so her visions, do you have an opinion? <laughs> what do you think? Um, y- you know, I don't know how much she looked at, like, I'm always curious, like, was she, so was she crazy? Was she lying? Did she have visions because she was mentally ill? Or, you know, uh, are you, are you Catholic? Do you think she really, like, God told her something? I don't know. What, what, uh, do you, do you have I'm... an opinion? <laughs> I'm not Catholic, and I pretty I, I don't know. I really don't know. It's all possible. I think she believed in what she saw that the visions. Um, I think it was a strong thing in her life, a very important thing which uh, made her the woman she was. But where the visions came from. Mm-hmm. Is nobody can and will be able to 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 answer you? Yeah. Um, well, that's true. Yeah. Uh, Joanne of Arc. Of course, people have been wondering that forever and ever, and debating. And oh, maybe she ate some tainted rye bread and was tripping on mushrooms or something. You know, like I don't know. The thing is that it's dangerous if you're lying and you say, "Oh, God is speaking to me." Joanne of Arc did die burnt on the stake as a as a heretic by the british so like i i think 
Uh, it really is. It's kind of, it's risky. And, and, and it's known that it's risky. If you're lying to get attention in this way, and people do, there's charlatans throughout history of um, people saying they, they see visions from God. But in this day and age, it was really, and she was investigated. Even the Pope had an investigation done on her. But it's, but I don't know. Yeah, I mean, if it was tainted water, if it was bad water or bad food, then why don't other people have it? It must have been a mental illness if if it was. But on, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I'm a natural skeptic. I think everybody's a liar. And like, like, she didn't write any of this down until she was 40. So she says that she did it. She saw them since she was three years old. But I don't, you know, you could, and you can lie when you're 40 and say that. I don't know. So Yuta might know more. Yuta would have really believed her or not believed her. Um, Yuta also supposedly had visions, so maybe she told her how to lie better. And I, I, I don't know. Maybe she got, she had visions, quote unquote, like she lied about it to be able to open her own monastery and be able to be free from the other abbot. Um, I just I don't think we have enough information, and obviously, if you're if you're religious, then hey, maybe uh, God told her stuff. I I I don't know enough about her vision because because if you're a prophet, then maybe you saw the future, and then if stuff happened the way you saw it, then like oh, that's that's pretty miraculous. But I don't even know enough about about that. So the end of times that those ha- that hasn't happened yet. So we'll have to wait and see if she's right. I guess. In any case. <laughs> On the 17th of September, 1179, uh, Hildegard passed away. She was uh, 81? She was, no, she was 77. Oh, whatever. She was in her late 70s, early 80s. And her sisters claimed they saw two streams of light appear in the skies and cross over the room where she was dying. So there was already a miraculous thing there. And uh, she wasn't made a saint until... 2012 so that's kind of interesting now um to this day this is so cool like there's still a shrine um her her she's her shrine or her little her her relic stuff is carried around the vineyards around rudeberg on the rhine once a year by the nuns there so i think her monastery doesn't exist anymore but there's a monastery in the area that inherited the relics i I forget i looked up the story but i forgot um and she's a doctor of the church which only 35 saints are doctors of the church and there's only four women doctors of the church and that made me very curious. So I will tell you, I looked it up. So there's Hildegard. There's also, um, there's one in, I'm going to guess, France, because her name is Therese of Lisieux. She also had, yeah, so she's a 19th century. She's like very modern saint, by the way. And uh, she had visions, I believe, uh, but she was already, wait, is that true? Because the others did have visions. This one... She's very late, like 19th century. I don't care about her. The other two are more related. So uh, St. Catherine of Siena had visions. She's from 14th century in in Siena, in Tuscany, uh, like, you know, northern Italy. And then uh, St. Teresa of Avila in Spain also had kind of like great mystic and uh, visions and stuff. And these were all nuns. Uh, two of the three were nuns. And 15, so that's, yeah, 1515 to 1582. So Hildegard is the oldest, first of all. 
But when I did some digging, it turns out that there was no female doctor of the church until 1970. So it is a pretty modern Catholic thing to do to name female women uh, doctors of the church. I, I'm interested in that stuff. Maybe no one else cares, but um, yeah, 19. And in fact, it was Saint Teresa of Avila that was the first one named in 1970. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. So she was the first female doctor of the of the church. So it seems like I don't know. It's kind of modern history to find more female saints and name them doctor of the church, but. Hildegard, none of these other women actually were as much, like, wrote, like, medicine stuff down in Latin. And definitely nobody as early as Hildegard. So um, I think that's fascinating. Yeah, I just, I really like the whole story of, of even that. Like, her getting recognition in the church. Because for year, for centuries, you will see people say St. Hildegard. But she was like a folks saint. She was not officially yes. recognized until Benedict. It was Ratzinger that called her a saint in 2012. So very modern history. That's six years ago as of this recording. People have been interested in her medicine. People have been interested in her visions and stuff starting in like 1900s and kind of looking at it again. Uh, same with like Joan of Arc and, and those other people where people are just curious of what really happened. Now, her monastery, there's an uh, abbey, St. Hildegard Abbey, but it wasn't founded until 1904. Um, and it's right. It's the one that kind of it's the heir of her abbey. Well, there's the usual, like, there's a planet named after her, 898 Hildegard. <laughs> you know, Kepler has his planet, Hilde has hers. Um, oh, I watched a documentary, uh, which is just called Hildegard, or Hildegard of Bingen. It's from the 90s, 1994 or so. It was weird. It was drama, dr dramatized, so kind of easy to watch. It was, if you don't know anything about Hildegard, it starts off when she's, like, 40 years old. So it's already... I don't know. It, it didn't help me much for this episode, but it was a neat story. And uh, ZDF has Die Deutschen, one of the episodes, is about Hildegard. And she she appears in Barbarossa, uh, 2009, which is... Who is who does that? Angela Molina in Barbarossa. Okay, but she's, she appears... The character appears in a movie called Barbarossa. Now, I, yeah, I guess even in Germany, you probably don't really learn about her in school you probably hear sh who she is here and there maybe about hildegard medicine and she's she's a known character yes uh, but in english i just thought less especially if you're not catholic you probably never heard of saint hildegard so yeah uh, anybody who invents their own alphabet is going to get welcomed to podcasting i feel <laughs> like for sure yes uh, everybody who can help us uh, to encrypt the voynich manuscript yeah. Oh my God! I'm, I'm reading another chapter on that, and the it's so it's cool. amazing, it's so or cool. yeah, I we, we did one episode on it, one. but I'm gonna mention it again in my book I'm writing because I have yet new information about maybe how Rudolf II got it. Like, oh, it's just oh my God! I love that. I could read it's about that a, all day. Yeah. Yes, it's a totally fascinating story. I pretty much love it. I hope it was somebody just doing a joke. Like, I hope it was somebody just like, ha, 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 I'm going to mess up people in 500 years with, because it makes no sense. But anyway, yeah, that's a whole other. <laughs> um, oh, by the way, the Voynich Manuscript is about this time. So it w uh, maybe was written in this time. It was, for a while, they thought it was like Thomas Aquinas, who Thomas Aquinas is like, you know, 12, oh, okay, 50 years after. Ooh, 
Thomas Aquinas. Anyways, yeah, he wasn't even in Germany, so who cares? Or German. But yeah, like, um, it's that time. So her herbal uh, manuscripts, it's that style. It's that time. It's kind of crazy. Yeah, maybe her herbs had inspired someone to paint uh, strange pictures and write stuff in a language no yeah, one will language. ever understand. Yeah, I wonder, if it, I wonder if it's some of the same characters. And now, ladies and gentlemen, Travis J. Dow will encrypt life on the show, the Wynick Manuscript. Exactly. That's exactly what's mm -hmm. going to happen right now. Exactly and afterwards, uh, yeah, we go for the oh, Bernstein God. Zimmer. How is it called in English? The Amber Bernstein Room. Bernstein Yeah. The Amber Room. Yeah. yeah. Let's find it. It's yeah. in St. Petersburg. Come on. How is that even a mystery? Let's go. I'll show you where it is. Really? People haven't found it yet? I'll show you. I'll show you. No problem. <laughs> I know where it is. Yeah, it's totally different. Okay, so my theory is wrong, <laughs> but... Oh, damn it. Oh, that is cool to see them side by side, though. Not that different. G is H. H is... I think they just mixed some things up. Oh, hey, guys. Okay, so listen. The Voynich Manuscript is really easy. It just says, listen <laughs> to history of... What? Germany podcast. Germany. Oh, yeah. oh, okay. Cool. It says what? It Go to podcastnickshop.com huh crazy well there's mystery solved everybody have a nice day no that's the wrong that's the wrong podcast bye <laughs> ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 